Hi and welcome to Friends of Brother Adam. My name is Dennis and I'll be your host for this evening. I'm just going through and getting rid of some of the interruptions that I'm very sure we'll have. Um, but uh, in the meantime, let's jump in and get started. Today we're going to be working on Delta 1 D1. Um, and this is from Certified Beekeeping Technician Tasks. Um, again, you will not be receiving a certificate at the end of this. However, this is for your entertainment, enjoyment, and education. Uh, this is a course that uh, I do teach, and uh, I felt that this is something that is just not done on the web, and I needed to, to get out there and, and help some people. So this is how I'm doing it through the COVID. Uh, unfortunately, it's it's difficult to be uh, a mentor and, and a teacher during time when we're um, partially locked down or fully locked down. And it sounds like, damn it, they're going to be doing it again. Who knows? We'll have to see. But uh, meantime, I try and keep this as uh, non-political as possible because you know what? Politics has seeped into everything, including sports. So why the heck should we have politics and beekeeping? Uh, unfortunately, I lose my ever-loving mind occasionally with with some of the things that uh, the making you sad police are doing, and uh, some of the things that um, counties make new rules and. Um, provincial leaders make new rules and oh it's just sometimes you just got to lose your ever-loving mind just to keep your sanity <laughs> which mm -hmm, makes a lot of sense <laughs> uh, today we're going to be talking um, about uh, identifying parts of a beehive and I think uh, before we even jump into that we need to talk about kinds of beehives um, they have some common types of beehives and they have some not so common types of beehives and of course beekeepers are uh, inventors at heart and every single beekeeper has his own little twist or his own little invention or her um, new kind of beehive and that's the only way that bees have survived in mankind's care this long I believe is we are continually trying something out all beekeeping is local so for your area for your microclimate for your conditions for your weather uh, for your plants that are in your area you have to figure out a way to keep those little critters alive and and so uh, it's up to you to uh, create ways to better be a beekeeper and be uh, guardian over these little insects that decide to call whatever you're putting in them as home. Hold on here. Yep. I need one of these today. <laughs> All right. So on to on to bigger and better. So let's talk about first common types of hives. And then we'll go over a little bit about why they're used, how we use them, whether or not they're, in my opinion, good or bad, you know, we'll go through that. Um, this is something that you as a starting out beekeeper are going to need to have nailed down. Um, 
And the reason is you have to decide how you're going to be taking care of your bees, whether you are a creative person and can go out and make a house for your bees and figure out bee space and all the little intricate things that that make up a, a beehive and uh, create something uh, utilizing stuff from your environment and, and free stuff or expensive stuff or um, wood that you get from you know <laughs> barn board that you get from a house that's fallen down or if you're going to Lowe's or Home Depot or wherever and getting yourself brand new stuff and creating your own. It just depends on what you're going to be doing or whether you want to walk into a store and buy standard stuff and just put it right into your hive and not have to deal with making stuff. You just want the standard run-of-the-mill stuff that you can buy off the shelf so that you don't have to put in the time to to do those things you know you need to know what kind of a beekeeper you are and what works for you and you have to have this nailed down because beekeeping equipment is freaking expensive and if you were to go and and buy uh let's say a ware hive which i make um, or if you were to get a top bar hive or some sort of uh, long hive, um, all of which I make, or if you end up getting a skep, which is a basket, you know, um, and you spend two, three hundred dollars on on purchasing that beehive, and and you realize that it's not what you like, you're going to end up having to sell it to somebody else who has your same sickness. <laughs> <laughs> you know the sickness of beekeeping and uh, hopefully you can get the money out of it again but uh, beekeeping equipment uh, most beekeeping equipment has an expiry date on it and once it gets to that point in time you might as well just either uh, chop it up and burn it up or um, you know if you want to give it away but when you give it away supposedly you're supposed to have it inspected and uh, before it goes on to the next person so um, most beekeepers don't even want to deal with that crap and so they end up breaking it up and throwing it away so <laughs> you need to know what kind of beehive that you like so um, for the common type of beehives I have uh, once again gone back to the perfect bee uh, your first beehive and beyond. Um, you can find them at www.perfectbee.com and uh, they they put out a lot of uh, good blogs and uh, I'm just going to go through um, because they touch on some of the uh, more common types and we'll talk about that and then we'll talk about some of the less common types. So here we go. New beekeepers can sometimes be intimidated by the many choices they face. There are indeed many options for equipment, tools, clothing, and even choices in terms of which type of honeybee to consider. However, the most visible decision they will make is the choice of beehives. This will be the focal point for visitors as you proudly explain your love for bees and more importantly, for your bees to enjoy as the colony thrives. But what choices do you have when it comes to hives? The short answer is that you have many choices, including some very 
esoteric and fascinating options. However, there are three main types of beehives in use today, the Langstroth, the Waray, and the Top Bar. Each of these have advantages and disadvantages. Like most things in beekeeping, many beekeepers will tell you that their way and their hive is the only way to go. Not so. There is no one way and there's certainly no best way. Tell that to the inspectors. <laughs> uh, there, that's the one answerable common question. What is the best type of hive? Perfect B instead suggests that you consider each of the options assessing in terms of your own situation and objectives. The character or the chances are that one of these will be the best suited to your situation, but don't let any beekeeper tell you that his or her approach is best for you. Only you can make that decision. So that being said, let's take a high level look at the three main types of beehives. If you are uh, signed up for their academy. Um, they'll follow this lesson up with several lessons of each of these hives where they drill down the components and details of each hive, blah, blah, blah. So Langstroth. Okay, when most people think of a beehive, they see in their mind's eye a Langstroth. The granddaddy of beehives having been invented reasonably enough by Reverend L.L. Langstroth, in 1852. Although this design has changed somewhat over the years and the basic approach of it is a modular design, expandable beehive, reasonably convenient, easy access for the beekeeper, the key innovation was the use of convenient vertically hanging frames on which bees build their comb. So this uh, is essentially uh, the start of well he was kind of like the Ford of beehives so he standardized the beehive and made it so that you could um, uh, create beehive equipment and put it in up for sale and somebody with the same Langstroth hive could come and get your equipment buy your equipment and put it directly into their hive and swap it out and put it in another hive and swap it out and and uh, you know uh, take the honey off of the frame and put it back into the hive and it, it made it so that the hive was separatable and it was swappable okay so that's very important for beehives and over the years, they have increased this um, um, modularity and some beekeepers have gone to the extremes with this modularity, such as myself. Um, I have Langstroths in my apiaries and what I have decided to do is to go everything um, with medium boxes. So that's what that does is it makes everything in my my apiary able to be mediums. So I can take something from the brood box and put it in the honey box. I can take something from um, storage, wax storage, put it in and have the queen lay on 
it right away because it's new newer wax put it in have her lay on it right away take that out go over to another hive put it in anywhere in my apiary and just have it also the reason why i do uh, medium boxes because uh, the large box the brood box are when they fill up with honey they are up to a hundred pounds of weight and my back just won't handle that lifting 100 pound weights all day long i have a friend who has decided that he is doing all deeps all brood boxes and so in his apiary he has 100 percent big ones now i i do believe that what he has done is actually better than what i have done because there are several parts of equipment that are only made for brood boxes. So your internal feeders are usually only made for brood boxes. Um, they do have hive top feeders, but then you have, it's a different, a different setup. Um, the black uh, internal hive feeders that you just set in there and it takes up the space of two frames and you pour your liquid in there and it's within the hive and it's such a wonderful thing. I can't do that because they usually don't have uh, uh, supers or mediums that have those kind of feeders. <laughs> and I regret it, I do. <laughs> so, um, but I have all mediums in my, uh, in my um, um, apiaries. Um, I do have some legacy boxes that I still haven't gotten rid of from way before when. They are deep brood boxes and occasionally they sneak in there. But guess what? They have medium frames in them. <laughs> so the bees tack on the bottom just like a top bar. They tack on the bottom uh, a bunch of wax that during hot days always falls off and, and gets all over the place. Um, but they tack on the bottom a bunch of wax and, and fill it up with honey or brood or whatever. And it's, you can use it just like a, a large frame and you can, um, at the end of the season, you can pick it up and chop it off and use that honey and, you know, as a uh, cut comb or whatever you want to do with it. So, you know, it, it is a good thing and it is a bad thing, but you know, you just end up dealing with it because that's the way things are. Excuse me. So back to back to our, our reading here. Um, the gaps between these frames and in between the frames and the inside of the boxes in which they hang are very intentionally respected. Um, we call this B space. The, these are the precise gaps within the hive between one quarter and three eighths of an inch that the bees will avoid joining with comb or filling with propolis. By design, a beehive that reflected bee space, Langstroth came up with that solution that worked well for bees, but also made management of the beehive much easier for the beekeeper. By the way, although bee space has been first proposed by Langstroth in his hive, it has it is used as a key design factor in all successful hive designs today, including the war and top bar. If you fight B space, you will lose. <laughs> I have I have 
you know, I didn't really understand bee space. And I thought, well, you know, every time I put the box on there, I'm always squishing bees and I don't want to do that. So let's give them a little more space. Oy, did I learn. <laughs> the bee space is one of those very important things that you need. And unless you figure out a way to utilize the cut comb that they, or not cut comb, uh, the, the burr comb that they end up making um, in between to fill up the non-bee space area, um, you're just going to lose. You're just going to lose, 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 lose. <laughs> and by me utilizing medium frames in, in deep boxes, I end up losing because a lot of times they will throw new comb and the queen loves new comb to lay eggs on and she'll, she'll lay eggs and then I'll lift up a piece of comb and it will drop a whole entire half of a half of a frame worth of bees onto the onto the um, hive and I'll end up having to try and rescue them and it's just so heartbreaking because that's a lot of bees that you're you're killing off when when it falls off so yeah you pay for it in the end <laughs> so the expandability of the laying straw is achieved by supporting the the addition of boxes on top of existing ones so with Langstroth you put your original and then you add a box on top and a box on top and a box on top that's how they do the Langstroth not how they do some of the other ones so just pay attention here okay these are often called supers so anything above a brood chamber is called a super it's the position, not necessarily the box. And in my apiary, where I have essentially everything's a super, <laughs> I call brood boxes the bottom two boxes. And then after that, then we call them supers, right? Anything above uh, a queen excluder is a super. Okay, so that's another piece of equipment that we haven't gone over yet. A queen excluder is just what it says. It is either a wooden, plastic, or metal frame that allows regular bees, worker bees, to climb up and through, but does not allow drones or queens to go through it. And this enables the worker bees to go up into the supers and put honey up there, but does not allow the queen to lay brood any higher than that um, plastic, wood, or metal grate. So that's what a queen excluder is. Anyway, so um, by utilizing this, they are able to um, keep uh, the brood boxes, brood boxes, and the supers, supers. Um, so there are, in Langstroth, there are three different sizes of boxes. There is the brood box, which is the bottom box, and it is usually fairly large. Um, they are kind of rectangular. They're not square, they're rectangular. Um, and uh, this helps a little bit in stability because um, they're rectangular. And as they get taller and taller, as long as you um, keep the, uh, tilt of the hive just barely on a tilt um, towards the long side of the hive then you're doing just fine because it's the long side of the hive so um, the second size of box is called a medium 
It is essentially three quarters the size of a deep and uh, it is usually used nowadays for honey supers um, and in my apiaries I use it for everything. Um, and then there is a third size box which is not used very much anymore. Um, you occasionally run across uh, it as you have old um, boxes uh, you know brought to you or, or you you go and you purchase used equipment from somebody you will find that they have these honey supers and they are essentially one half of a deep so they're real thin and they're tiny and they fit on top and the reason why people use those in back in the day is they can carry up to 30 pounds of honey so uh, the supers, um, the little teeny half-size ones, are um, really great for lifting up off of the uh, hives and carting them around and everything. Um, however, the uh, extractors, the honey extractors, uh, are not really built for them anymore. They're built more for mediums, uh, which are now supers and uh, occasionally you'll get a, a centrifuge that is built for deeps as well um, and uh, that's always good to get you know getting something that's that can handle deeps mediums and supers is a good thing to have um, just because it's it does everything but most people just handle or nowadays do the mediums um, and uh, as honey collection boxes and then spin them out with medium frames. Uh, an essential aspect of the Langstroth is that the dimensions are well documented, uh, effectively a standard, and that means it is easy and feasible to purchase components from different manufacturers. Okay, so on to another type. This is called the Warray Hive. Warray beehives in some ways look like a mini Langstroth, except that it utilizes square boxes. Uh, like Langstroth, it also is named after its designer. In this case, a certain French monk called Abbe Emile Warray. His guiding principle was to design a beehive mirroring the type of space bees choose in a natural setting. The inside is resultant design intended to be similar to that of a hollow tree in a common choice for wild bees. The Warre hive, unlike Langstroth, um, they used to have copyrights on Langstroth hives. So supposedly, if you manufactured a Langstroth hive, uh, utilizing either a Langstroth hive that you got from somebody else, or you just you know read the dimensions and made your own type of thing, supposedly you were supposed to pay uh, the estate of, of uh, Langstroth a certain fee for utilization of his technology. And most of these things had copyrights on them. And so if you were found creating a Langstroth hive um, and selling it as your own, uh, you'd end up with a copyright infringement lawsuit.
<laughs> or somebody would uh, write you a letter and say, please stop doing this. Mr. Ware uh, wanted to utilize uh, his beehive as the people's beehive. So there, as far as I know, there were no um, copyrights put on the Ware hive. And he essentially published how to make a Ware hive and sent it out there for the people to have. He was a, a you know, he had the influence of socialism there because he was over in France. And he wanted, he wanted everybody to be able to have a beehive. And he showed him how to do it. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, the key difference with Langstroth is that new boxes were added or from the Langstroth is that new boxes are added beneath the existing boxes rather than on top of them. While the individual boxes are smaller than the Langstroth and therefore individually lighter, the existing boxes needed to be moved up in the stack when adding a new one. Something of a trade-off with the beekeeper wishing to or, or unable to lift heavy weights. Um, it's one of the reasons why the Ware was square and smaller so that you could set them aside and then stack them up as you needed to by adding uh, one to the bottom. The other thing is, is that the queens usually like to be towards the bottom and the bees would make her new comb on the bottom and she would move down and start laying eggs in the bottom and having her brood down below. And then as the boxes were elevated up, they stopped having brood in them. They were stopped utilizing for brood. And as they went up, they were placed as um, honey supers and the bees filled the wax with honey. And what you did with a ware is you were able to uh, take out the comb, uh, process the honey and put the the slats back or the frames later on back and put them on the bottom without wax in them and that way you would always have a renewal of wax and you weren't carrying wax from your bees uh, five years into the future because as you as they were going up and were displaced from the brood chamber and became honey supers you would then utilize the honey out of them and the wax and uh, you'd make wax into candles and all sorts of other stuff and you'd utilize the honey for uh, sale and for cooking and all the other stuff that you needed around the house. While the individual boxes are smaller than the Langstroth and therefore individually lighter, the existing boxes needed to be moved up in the uh, stack when adding a new one, something of a trade-off. They did have um, kind of like a little <laughs> manual forklift that grabbed the handles of the ware and started lifting them up so that you could slip another box in there. And that's just one of the things that they did to try and save backs because this could be a back killer. So another difference is that rather than supporting vertically hanging frames, the ware has a series of simple slats spanning the top of each box. From this guide, bees would build their comb vertically downwards 
Um, this means by definition, Warre beekeeping equals foundationless beekeeping, which we will discuss a little bit later. Um, the Warre hive was later improved so that it had um, the ability to take frames. Um, when we started realizing that uh, we could change the size of B by changing the size of cell and we wanted to print uh, a cell pattern that they would follow, um, we ended up, uh, you know, um, making frames for the Warre. So you can get frames for the Warre. Um, they're definitely not common thing. And one of the beautiful things about Warre hives is they may start on the sticks, <laughs> but they do not end usually being straight up and down. They usually end uh, having a beautiful curve to them and uh, being more like what you find in the hive. And the reason why this was so healthy is the bees were able to um, put their bee space in there and they were able to maintain um, uh, air currents going through the hives like they wanted and they were able to utilize the uh, combs that they made as a medium for communication which you can't necessarily when they're in frames and especially when you utilize uh, a plastic um, insert in the frames um, it doesn't allow the uh, the buzzing and the vibrations to travel throughout the hive as nicely. The top of the Warre hive features a roof, often called a quilt box, that includes material to absorb condensation that the bees might generate. This is particularly important during the winter when the interaction of very cold ambient temperatures with the relative warmth of the winter cluster formed by the bees can result in a dangerous buildup of moisture in the hive. The warre is sometimes considered a design with lower burden of ongoing maintenance which is attractive to many beekeepers. The warre is found more in England and France than it is over here in the Americas. However, this is extremely attractive to people. They love this idea. And um, you can make the warre so that it is um, a smaller box. And, uh, you know, it, it's, it's really cool to have. And um, it's really easy, because it's square, to make a winter cover for the warre hive. It's not oblonged and weird shaped and it just makes it easier to make something to slip over the top and oh, there you go. Um, this quilt box is an interesting idea. One of the uh, problems with Langstroth that we have found um, through uh, experience is that we are forcing the bees to be in an area where um, they don't necessarily do as well. They, they cope and they try and make the best of it. Um, sometimes they'll even block off the upper entrance so that, that they don't have to deal with this. But in the Langstroth hive, the um, in, inner cover 
Um, of course, we, we tip the Langstroth hives a little bit forward so that the condensation goes up to the inner cover and then rolls downward off of the inner cover and down a wall. And that way you, you keep them, uh, the liquid from dripping on your uh, cluster. But uh, the problem is, is that you have a, a, a escape entrance at the top and you have the real entrance at the bottom usually. Um, and so you get air circulation that goes up through the hive and um, they just have to deal with having a permanent draft in their house. And just like you, if you had a permanent draft in your house, you know, you'd end up sitting on your couch with a blanket and you'd try and deal with it and you'd turn up your heat a little bit higher and you'd have to eat a little bit more just so that you could, you know, maintain that uh, temperature in your in your house and in your body. And, oh my gosh, <laughs> you know, you're you're doing a lot of things to deal with it when with a little bit of better management such as what is given through the uh, war a hive with a little better management you might be able to better mimic a tree and better mimic their natural way of living so you know that's a that's a really great thing it's something that we you know as beekeepers have wanted to do since we took the bees out of the trees we want to make it more like the tree so here we are <laughs> with the war a hive um, now war a hives do not have the ability to walk into pv mart and go pick up your war a hive parts you have to make them so if you're choosing a war a hive you need to have a, a fair decent amount of um, construction knowledge be able to handle a wood saw be able to handle um, sanding and, and all sorts of wood processing and that kind of stuff. If you can do that, you can follow uh, Mr. Worry's directions and you can have a hive that was essentially built, what, back in the 1800s? <laughs> and, and you can have it there and, and uh, do your own thing, right? The one problem and this is why we ended up uh, making frames, is we have inspectors in Canada and they demand to be able to go in and disassemble every single hive that they want to disassemble. So what you need to know about Warre hives is if you start taking the little sticks out and taking the, the, um, the wax um, and honey out or the wax and brood out, you probably won't be able to fit it back in. So um, unless, unless you have frames, you are going to have some difficulties if you have an inspection. And uh, for heaven's sakes, <laughs> when you're reporting, do not report that you have war a hives. That will be the indicator that you need an inspection. <laughs> Inspectors do not like Warre hives. It's just they're not as modular. They're not as easily to get into. Uh, they're not as familiar with them, you know, and the inspectors do not like them. Um, if you do a Warre hive and you decide to do it, um, um, please utilize frames. It will make your life so much better. Um, when you utilize frames, you're able to have the 
plastic inserts in there which allows the bees to understand that you want straight up and down combs not curved combs not fantastically shaped combs you want straight up and down combs and you can you can help them understand the way that you want them to to build their comb so that's <laughs> that's where you are with that one so worry that's what you want to do and the last more common hive is called a top bar hive top bar hive is often seen referenced as a tbh it is quite a different design than that of the Langstroffer Warre. Think of an upside down triangle. The more recent design, relatively, the top bar is the most comfortable of designs for the beekeeper, presenting the bees at a convenient height, more or less your waist height. There are no heavy honey-laden boxes to lift, just individual frames of comb. The problem is they're top bars. The bees affix the wax onto the top bar and uh, you have to be in there constantly taking off burr comb and stopping swirling um, architecture. <laughs> keeping, your, keeping your frames or your uh, comb up and down. So a lot of times you end up cutting off a lot of comb and cutting off babies just to make sure that the, the comb stays straight. An important characteristic of the top bar hive is that it's a single long box where this means there are no expansion capabilities. Not true, but we'll get into that. As exists with the Langstroth and Wari. It also makes for a more simple design, its simplicity and significant attraction for many hobbyist beekeepers and for beekeepers in third world countries. Top bar design is wider than any other option and long roof protects the contents under the roof are 24 wooden bars. That does change as well. These bars are therefore at the top see why they see what they did here top bar <laughs> bars at the top each of the bars has a starter strip from which the bees will start building comb again hanging vertically huh. most times <laughs> there is no foundation involved therefore like the warre the top bar is attractive to those who enjoy foundationless beekeeping again for uh the uh Inspectors, this type of beehive is not their happy, <laughs> um, they're not happy about this. They, they uh, unless it is also frames, they get really grumpy about this type of stuff. So this particular top bar can also be modified and the frames look like triangles they fit down with B space on two sides of the uh, triangle. So they are something that can be modified. And um, if you modify the uh, box, you can fit um, not only those frames in, but you can also fit um, boxes on top and have it be expandable. So the modifications that you can do on a top bar are again, you can make frames 
you can fill the frames with inserts. Um, I've seen some people um, put on the frames um, fish wire uh, lines or metal lines so that the wax is built around those metal lines and they don't flop all over the place. Um, the problem with top bar is that you can only handle them in the vertical plane. So when you handle them, you have to uh, handle them in such a way so that um, it's the gravity is either pulling the frame down or the gravity is pulling down on the, the top bar and the wax is going up. That's the only two ways that you can view a top bar. If you turn them one way to the side or the other side, the wax, if it's a warm day, will flop off and fall down and make a mess. And you will feel very bad if they are brewed and you need those brewed to make your top bar work <laughs> and you are screwing yourself. Top bars can also be manufactured instead of um, uh, in the shape of an upside down triangle with the point pointed down. You can make them so that they are, um, there's something called the pig hive. And essentially what it is is a barrel that is chopped in half. And then the barrel has, across the top of the barrel, has slats. And so your frames will actually be as big as the barrel is wide. And they will build the wax to match the um, container. So you will have these big, huge, circular, um, <laughs> big, huge, circular wax uh, frames, or not frames, wax free comb. And when you pick those up, because they're so heavy, if it's, you know, plus 30, plus 40, they're just going to drop off. So, but it's really cool having a pig hive because, and I think they call it a pig because it kind of looks like a pig. Uh, usually they have legs on it that look like pig legs, and then you've got the round belly on the bottom. And that's why they call it a pig hive. Um, you can also modify the top bar hive to essentially be a square. So you can build it the same width dimensions as a Langstroth hive. And then what you do is you usually make them three Langstroth wide across. And then you can utilize uh, the common Langstroth um, frames in that top bar hive. And you can cross pollinate that with top bars and then also the the top uh, the Langstroth frames. And uh, when you do that you make it so that the combs are straight because you're able to put in a frame with uh, inserts in it next to a free comb frame with a frame with an insert sandwiching it in. So it's something that you can do. And for expandability, if you're thinking <laughs> ahead of time that you're going to have to expand this, if you make the top of the top bar hive so that it fits the base of either a Warre hive or a Langstroth hive, you can stack boxes on top of the um, top bar hive 
and the bees will go up that box. So essentially you will have what looks like a, a, a short leg L, so it's a short upper part, and then the long L going out being your top bar hive. And you can stack on your boxes that way. And if you make your, um, your lid so that you can pop open one part of it, then that makes it so that you can stack those, those, uh, that hive up. But your problem with top bar hives is always um, that the bees want to put the lid, uh, wax and propolize the lid on to the, the hive. So getting in and checking it is extremely hard because you got to get in there and crack your uh, um, propolis seal on there. And every time you crack the propolis seal, they have a problem with it and they will come after you. So things people do to change that is they get that silver bubble wrap and put it on top of the, um, the top bar hive. And uh, then it makes the seal on that silver bubble wrap. Or they get a piece of plastic that goes across the top. Or sometimes they manufacture an inner, inner cover that you crack open with your, your hive tool. So, I mean, there are ways of getting around that, but top bar hives are notorious to being gummed shut. And you have to be in your top bar hive and you have to be in your worry hive like at least every five, six days to keep the comb straight. And when you find a comb that's not straight, you have to shave it off and have them redo it. Or... If it's a warmer day, you can bend it out so that it is straight and you physically bend it out. <laughs> now it really matters whether or not those three hives are something that you like because um, there are proponents of these hives. There are people to train you on these hives. A good mentor and a good um, teacher of beekeeping is able to function and knows the goods and bads and the ins and outs of all of these hives. And it really helps that if you're teaching this stuff that you have had one of these or more of these hives. And I have, and I've tried to make a lot of them work. They're a lot of fun, these, these strange ones but they are a lot of work. <laughs> so if you have two hives, consider either the Warre or the um, Top Bar or one of the other specialty ones, um, but at least make both of those hives the same thing so that you can trade between the two of them if you need to trade uh, brood or honey or something like that you need to be able to trade between the two of them so if you're going to do a weird type of hive make sure that you have two of them so that you can do the trade in between them now some of the less common ones um, more iconic one is called a skep a skep is a hive that we used to use um, since the early days and you can make skeps out of just about anything a lot of people use um, willow branches or they use other types of sticks 
and they weave the sticks into uh, a bell shape and uh, then they usually coat the bell-shaped sticks with uh, a concoction of horse manure and straw and they just coat the top of it and they leave a little space at the bottom of it to for the bees to come in and out. Um, and our ancestors used to use these hives and a skep used to be at every single cabin um, in the 1700s. It used to be at, at every single cabin in the New World. Um, everybody had at least one if not two or three, just sitting outside of the cabin. Um, and these skeps were really good. But the problem with the skeps is um, you didn't harvest the honey until you had a swarm. And you would capture the swarm and put them into another skep. And then what you would do is you would actually kill the bees in the original skep and then scoop out all the honey and wax and utilize them and process them. Um, and this was back in the day when uh, capturing bees and things like that were not hard. There was an abundance of wild uh, hives out there. People didn't necessarily try and capture them all the time. So there were lots of wild hives out there. And uh, they used to catch the hives in a very long tube that was closed at the end, tied shut at the end, and the bees would fly up the tube. And so they would suspend the tube um, by the hive. And when they came out on the edge of the hive to start their uh, trip away from the hive, they would put the uh, cloth tube around the, around the hive or at the hive entrance and have the bees leave into the tube. They'd tie the bottom of the tube and take it over to a new hive and, and drop them in. And uh, this was used for many, many years. They learned that they didn't necessarily have to kill um, the hive. What they could do is they could make a bottom skep and have a flat roof on that skep with several holes in that. And then on top of that, they would put the dome skep, the bell-shaped skep, and the bell-shaped skep would be the honey super and they would just take the honey and comb out of that. Um, they would also, during that time, um, harvest brood. Um, the uh, babies that had not uh, left their pupa stage yet, and they would throw them into a, a frying pan and fry up the brood and eat the brood uh, for protein. So that was another product of the hive. Um, so in learning that they could put a super on there, they would save the original hive, but they would still grab the swarms and put them into a new hive. So that's another way of doing things. Um, there are modern um, imaginations of this hive. Uh, they call it a sun hive. And essentially what it is is a regular bell shape on top and then an upside down bell shape on the bottom. And the two, hot, uh, the two pieces have uh, a wood plate on, on the bottom of the bell shape so that they fit together. And you can lock them together. The bottom bell has um, 
I don't really know how to explain it other than it has like a upside down ice cream cone sticking out the bottom of it. And so the bees fly up to this upside down ice cream cone and land. That's their landing board. And then they crawl up inside of this uh, egg shaped uh, two bell um, dome. And, uh, and inside of that they have um, kind of like round frames on the inside and they're very it's like a very <laughs> interesting shape and they keep the the B space inside of that uh, upper um, uh, bell and so it's specially cut out frames and oh my gosh the amount of detail and stuff that are put into these sun hives are just insane and the beekeepers that keep bees in sun hives i swear they almost worship the bees they're so you know <laughs> reverent over the the beehive and the bees and they're just like oh this is so great and you know, you'll get the uh, bee queen people out there who are like dancing with the bees and <laughs> putting their blessing on the bees. And oh my goodness, it's 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 quite a granola thing. Um, you also have, uh, like we talked about earlier, um, long langstroths. So it takes the idea of a top bar, puts it in a long langstroth so that you do not have to handle your... Uh, frames or you do not have to handle boxes you just pull out individual frames those are very useful I like those um, they're very useful for people who have wheelchair access only to the beehives um, being able to wheel your your wheelchair up right next to it turn sideways a little bit and manipulate your hive there's also something called a bee gum and People used to use these all the time. They still use these over in Africa. A bee gum is essentially a hollowed out um, tree stump that uh, people either hang from trees or they sit on the ground. Um, and they have uh, entrance by a hole in it and uh, they have a, a lid on the top. You can make these so that you can fit in your normal Langstroth frames or you can make a top bar out of them. Make sure that you put a, uh, a top on them so that you can just peel it off. So some of that silver uh, bubble wrap insulation type stuff again. Um, but they do really well in these type of hives. However, those type of hives, the inspectors do not like and they will... If they see something like that, they will be like, yeah, you're done. <laughs> they, will, they will tell you you can't have those. Um, there are the octagon hives, and essentially they're like uh, um, a very weird upside-down frame um, top bar hive, that it, but it's built in an octagon shape and you essentially cut it down the middle and the top part of that octagon is all frames and that's a type of hive. They're really interesting. You have uh, a circular tube hive. Uh, circular tube hives come from the Middle East and uh, they have a front and a back 
and you literally you you have them on hinges and you can flip up the front and scoop out little uh, round combs of honey out of there and towards the back is where the brood is and so you open it up and manipulate some of the brood from the back but honestly not very manipulable and uh, rather hard to deal with a lot of times you end up killing the hive you also have uh, several different kinds of hives for um, their technical boxes. So you have your Queen's Castle, which we'll talk about later. We have um, um, Nucleus Hives, which are uh, two-frame to four-frame hives um, that usually take Langstroth-type frames. You have something called the Perone Hive, and what this is is a very large box on the bottom that is never touched by the beekeeper and the bees have their brood in the bottom and then you have um, kind of like little slats on the top and the bees come up through the slats and then you put your smaller uh, boxes on top like supers and then they make their honey in the supers and then you take off the supers and what that's meant to do is essentially allow the bees to do whatever they're going to do in the bottom and uh, the Perone hive is utilized more in South America and the reason why they do the Perone hive is it's got a very large uh, square bottom to it and it's used more for places that have a lot of earthquakes and problems that way and uh, essentially they're earthquake proof hives. There are cabinet type hives <clears throat> that you can put into a wall and uh, essentially you open up the cabinet and you pull out your frames and the frames rather than hanging on a frame hanger like the Langstroth you actually slide the frames in and there are little grooves that keep your frames from flipping back and forth uh, they utilize those hives in um, in like Yugoslavia and some of the places like that they usually call these AZ hives. Um, the modern reiteration of this is called an AZ hive, uh, Alpha Zulu. And lately they've come out with uh, hard foam um, Langstroth hives and Warre hives. The hard foam is extremely useful and easy to work with. Um, and of course, you don't have to insulate the, the foam hives because they're already insulated. And there are a few other ones that I didn't get to, but maybe we can catch up with those ones later. I really appreciate you guys listening to my podcast. Um, please contact me if you have any questions at fatbeehoneyranch at gmail.com. Also, um, make sure that you guys come back. We're doing the rest of this uh, um, lesson next week hopefully, and uh, I think it's going to be a really fun lesson. We'll go over the different types of the different hives. Thank you again. Um, make sure that if you think I deserve it, that the platform you're listening to, that, I, that you give me a thumbs up or a five star, whichever it is. Uh, it helps the other people um, find me through the algorithms, and it, it you know helps my little fragile male ego that I have. So <laughs> anyways, thank you guys for listening. And uh, it's been a pleasure today.